Hello. Happy Easter. Well, that was really underwhelming. After worshipping like that, you know, I thought, yeah, a bit of an energetic greeting, like, you know. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's all right. <sighs> I am typically notoriously horrible at seasonal messages. You know, like <clears throat> when it's Easter Sunday, you're supposed to talk about Easter stuff and at Christmas, you're supposed to talk about Christmas stuff. Today, I'm going to get pretty close which actually I find encouraging um, because it doesn't always happen like that for me. And, you know, I kind of feel if the Spirit's on something, that's what I'm going to go after. And, you know, on Easter Sunday, demonstrating resurrection power is a good thing, regardless of whatever the subject is. But I think I'm going to get close. I actually had a dream about this message during the week. So I'm feeling relatively expectant that God wants to kind of deliver a, a bit of a payload for us. So I'm going to pray. And it's not because I'm desperate and don't really know what to do, just because it's just good to do that. <laughs> so Jesus, we just say, you're amazing. We are so unbelievably in your death. And we are so unbelievably grateful for what you did over this weekend, all those years back. Because everything changed on that day. Nothing, nothing stayed the same. And you showed us who you really are. You demonstrated that love finds its, finds its truest expression in sacrifice and that your power can't even be beaten by death. <laughs> Thank you that when you went to hell, it wasn't you that was scared, it was hell because you were coming to get the keys back. <laughs> Thank you for everything that you have purchased. And today, Jesus, come and get what you paid for. Come and touch hearts and lives in fresh and new ways. Touch our pain, touch our brokenness, touch our bodies. Just say, let your resurrection power flow in Jesus' name. Yeah, amen. So all the heart journey stuff we've been talking about in Life Hubs, we're going to continue that in Life Hubs over the next few weeks. But today I kind of want us to, instead of talk about the heart journey, I want to kind of minister into hearts. And it's interesting, Megs, you were picking up the Unis Finish thing. That's where I want to go. And we didn't talk about this before because there are too many other things to talk about, right? <laughs> Megan's an extrovert. She likes to talk. <laughs> So if you've got your Bibles there, let's open to John chapter 19. I want to pick up on um, something I've talked about at times before, but um, I probably haven't gone into, into this much depth on it. And this was the bit that I had the dream about um, during the week. And um, I wasn't planning to go here until I had this dream, and it was really full-on intense, and I, you know, I had all sorts of interesting reactions. So... Um, and this is the story, this is the account of when Jesus was crucified. So we are actually at the Easter message, which again, that in itself is a big miracle. So expect more today. <clears throat> so John chapter 19, and we'll pick up at verse 28. So this is partway through the crucifixion story. So later, knowing that everything had now been finished or accomplished... And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. That doesn't sound very nice to me. <laughs> vinegar isn't like the tastiest thing. You just go, oh, awesome. But apparently it was medicinal and purposeful. So wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk um, of hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up, gave up his spirit. That's John's account. And um, I'm going to refer to Luke's account in just a moment as well as we kind of bring the, the different accounts of the crucifixion together. But I want to pick up that word 
it, that, when I say that word, it is finished. In English, it's three words, but in Greek, it is one word, and that is the word tetelestai. It is one of the most pregnant words in the Greek language. And in the context that Jesus used it, it means probably more things than we have time to unpack. Um, but as I was reading into some of this during the week, and a bit more again today, um, there's a writer called A.W. Pink. He's a fairly um, famous kind of classical Christian writer. Um, he said, Eternity will be needed to make manifest all that Tetelestai contains. That, that declaration that Jesus made in that moment when he cried out, Finished. He said, all of eternity will be required to make manifest what that word contained. So the word doesn't mean, so when it says it is finished, it's not like, okay, folks, we're done here, I'm out. It's not so much about a, a place in time, and it's not even just that, you know, many, many people say, well, that was Jesus saying, you know, I've completed the work that the Father sent me here to do. And that is a reasonable interpretation of that word, but there is so much more to it. So back in that day when an invoice, you know, an invoice, a bill that said, you owe me this much money, when that bill was paid, they used to stamp it. When we say the word, we we see the word paid, back then they used to stamp on that the word tetelestai, which meant paid in full. So it didn't just mean he had done it. He completed what he had done, but that... Yours and my debt was paid in full. Or it was Warren Wearsby, he's another um, well-known biblical commentator, said, he took my bankruptcy and he covered it with his solvency. Any finance people in the room (laughs) that, that like that? He took my bankruptcy and covered it with his solvency. He didn't just make a down payment and then expect me to keep up the installments. This is really key. Because I, I think sometimes we live like Jesus made a down payment on the debt and we have to keep making installments. We, we keep this guilt thing going on on the inside and think, you know, we don't ever say I'm trying to pay him back, but, but the religious spirit will get us working and 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 working some more. Out of a sense of my debt isn't fully paid. But when Jesus declared that word, he was saying, your debt is paid in full. You know, there's no, there's no more installments to make. You know, your good works, no matter how good, no matter how amazing, no matter how many poor people you feed, no matter how many people you pray for and heal, it doesn't make up the debt. It's already done. It's, it, it's done. It's finished. I've heard Bill Johnson say, what part of finished do you not understand? <laughs> but there's more. But wait, there's more. That guy's name was Tim as well. So if we go back to Luke chapter 23, if we go back to Luke's account, in Luke chapter 23, um, verse 46, actually I'll go back to verse 44, it was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. Now a lot of people were saying, oh, it was, a, it was a lunar eclipse, but it's actually physically impossible for a lunar eclipse to happen at Passover because it's full moon. It's not actually possible for those two things to coincide. So this was a supernatural event that was going on. Um, and he said, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. I could spend a day on just that alone. And then it says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said, said this, he breathed his last. Now let me kind of stitch those two accounts together. Because one says, he said, finished, or to tell Stein, and then breathed his last. The other says, into your hands I commit my spirit, which interestingly was actually a prayer that Jewish kids used to pray before they went to bed at night. It was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, as they went off to sleep, knowing that they could go to sleep in peace, which is an interesting little declaration right then and there of how Jesus felt as he gave up his spirit. But that's not the point, even though it's a good one. So the two accounts seem to say that he says different things. But if you look at the tense of the original Greek in verse 46 there of Luke 23, it's, the tense is like, it says Jesus having called out with a loud voice. In other words, the calling out with a loud voice was past tense. In other words, he just called out something loud, which Luke didn't report. And then he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. In other words, if we put the two things together, 
Jesus called out in a loud voice to Telestai as a prophetic declaration. And then he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, I love this quote. It says, thus, to Telestai is not the cry of defeat of a dying man, but a cry of triumph of a living, life-giving redeemer, a divine proclamation that the, rede- the work of redemption had been fully, finally, and forever accomplished. In other words, when, if you know anything about crucifixion, when people get close to death, they don't have the strength to, to shout out in a loud voice. So it actually wasn't, in my humble opinion, the crucifixion that ultimately killed him. Because the other two, he, he, Jesus died way before the other two. And when someone gets close to the point of death from crucifixion, they usually can't call out with a loud voice. They don't have the strength left in them to do that. So something different was happening for Jesus than was happening for the other two guys that he was crucified with. So... He screams out this prophetic declaration, more on that in a second. And then he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he leaves this earth. In other words, his death was actually a voluntary act of him giving up his spirit. In a sense, yes, yes, man killed him in a sense, man put him on the cross. But even in that moment, he was powerful and had choice to give up his own spirit, which he did willingly for you and for me. Now, the word to telestai, I'm going to get a bit technical for just a second, but hang with me. So there's no equivalent tense in English for the tense of that word to telestai in Greek. In Greek, it was what they call the perfect tense. Now, we don't have a perfect tense. We've just kind of got past, present, and future. What the perfect tense means is essentially an action that happened in the past with its effects continuing into the present. You with me so far? So if I said... Let's say that door back there is now shut, and let's say I shut it for the sake of the illustration. If I said, I closed the door, that would be in Greek like the perfect tense because I closed it, and the implication is it's still shut. The effect of what I did in the past is still continuing into the now. And in many contexts, the perfect tense means that the effect of what happened in the past is permanent and ongoing. That wasn't too bad, was it? You, you, You with me? So when he cried out to Telstai, he is saying, the act I have now done is continuing on into the future. And this declaration continues even until this day. It's it's a bit like when God said, let there be light, and light was created. I've said this before, that the universe continues to expand. In other words, God said, let there be light, and that one declaration actually has not stopped to this day because the universe continues to expand. So that declaration to Telstai, like that one declaration when God said, let there be light, and that declaration continues to this day to have creative power and continues to do what it did back then on into eternity, to Telstai is that same kind of declaration. In other words, what Jesus said on the cross wasn't just a statement of fact, like, folks, it's done. It was a prophetic declaration that he released over you and me that still has power right here, right now, and on into the future. Now, interestingly, when Jesus said that, so when Jesus was on the cross, there were seven sayings he said, and three of those sayings come out of Psalm 22. And to Telstai comes right at the back end of Psalm 22. It's in verse 31. And of course, the the Old Testament being written in Hebrew... The Hebrew word that's translated into the Greek, to Telstai, haven't lost you, have I? Is the word asa, A-S-A-H in our language. A-S-A-H, asa. Now, it turns out, um, and, and um, I can't remember the exact reference, but where, where um, one of the prophets says that he will watch over his word to perform it or to fulfill it, that's the word asa. It's like that... Um, to bring something to its fullest manifestation or bring something to its fullest completion. Now, that word asar is also used in Genesis chapter 1 in the creation account. Trust me, I'm going to pull this together. Hang with me. So in Genesis 1-7, when it says, God made the expanse and separated it from the waters, that word made, again, is the word asar, which is the same as the word tetelstai. 
in, one, in um, Genesis 1, 11 and 12, when it talks about the trees on the earth bearing or bringing forth fruit from the earth, again, there is that word, asar. Um, Genesis 1, 16, where it says, God made the sun and the moon. That word made, again, is the word asar. Verse one, Genesis 1, 25, when he made the beasts of the earth, there is that word again. And then when he said in 126, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, that word make, let us make, is again that same word, asar, which in Greek is translated to telstai, which Jesus declares on the cross. What's the point? Jesus was making a declaration that was so pregnant in spirit, as that author said, it's going to take all of eternity for that word to be manifested. Now, that word, to telstai, when we look at it in that context, that word actually has creative power. Because when God spoke that word in creation, that stuff came forth. So not only do I believe that Jesus was saying, when he made that declaration, your debt was paid in full. I believe that he was also making a declaration, looking into the future, knowing that you and I were to become a new creation. That his declaration was not just saying it's finished, but he was calling forth the new creation. He was calling forth this new creature that would be made and formed in Christ to be the manifestation of Christ on the earth. In other words, that declaration is part of what called you in and created you in Christ. And it continues to have power today. He was calling forth you and I as sons and daughters of the King, fully manifesting Him in the earth, fully alive, fully healed, fully victorious. To the point where when He made that declaration, Matthew's account... It says, and when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the, temple of the, the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split. We just sang about that. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. See, this is the power that was in that declaration because the moment he releases that declaration from his mouth, bodies start popping out of tombs right then and there. In other words, it didn't wait till he rose from the dead for that word to have resurrection power. It started right then and there. And given it's the perfect tense, I hope you get this because this is really cool. Just like let there be light and the, that's continuing right here, right now. It's still continuing. It's still expanding. There is still being light created. That word is still calling forth the new creation in you. That word is still to this day in eternity calling forth Christ, calling forth Christ in you and your destiny. So it had resurrection power on it even before Jesus rose. Now, I want to take a baseball bat to some stuff that I think is warring against that declaration. And this is where I want to really kind of hit the... um, hit the pointy part of this. I'm going to jump over to Isaiah 53. Feel free to follow me if you like. And again, Isaiah 53 is one of the classic, um, one of the classic prophetic passages that tells us about what Jesus did and what the cross accomplished. So from verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. And it says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Now, what did he take up? Let me pull this apart for a sec. It says he took up our infirmities and our pain. So that's sickness. That's sickness and pain in our body. He took that up on the cross. And it also says he took up our sorrows or our suffering. So, or our grief or our pain. In other words, so he took the pain and illness and sickness in our body, but he also took the pain in our heart. And he took that upon himself. And then it says... He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And in simple terms, you can think of transgressions as your conduct and iniquity as your condition. 
Okay, our conduct, I did something wrong, transgression, fallen state, iniquity. And then to give us, it says the punishment that brought us peace. If you look in the New American Standard Version, it says it brings us the punishment that brought us our well-being. The Hebrew word used there is the word shalom. And that shalom, if Tetelstai is pregnant, then shalom's about to give birth. <laughs> okay. Shalom has, is just about everything possibly amazing contained within that one word. If, like, if there was one word that encapsulated the entirety of heaven, that would be it. The entirety of heaven pff, on you right now, that would be shalom. The, Hebrew, the, the Jews used it for the word peace, but it's so much more pregnant than that. And that is the answer to our, the shalom of heaven is the answer to our trauma and our torment. And then when it says, and by his stripes or by his wounds, we are healed. That word healed, the Hebrew word rapha. Um, back in, somewhere in the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, Frosty, it's in there somewhere, um, where Jesus says, yeah, I am he who takes away all your diseases. He says, I am the Lord who heals you. He says, I am Jehovah Rapha. That, that is that word heal. And it means to mend or cure like a, a physician, to repair thoroughly, to make whole. And if you look at that same word in the Greek, because Peter, in 1 Peter 2.24, quotes from Isaiah 53, and Peter in the New Testament is writing in Greek, and the word used there means to cause something to change to an earlier, correct, or appropriate state. So when he says he heals you, he brings you back to your previously first created, not fallen, appropriate in Christ, state. That's what he does. So it's not just the acts or the condition that he took on the cross. It's the pain, the torment, and the trauma, the trauma that goes with it. So let's say, by way of illustration, let's say for a moment that I blew all of my money gambling. Never done that. Not something I've tried yet. Not really planning to in a hurry either. But let's say I blew not only all of my money, but a whole lot more on gambling. And I owed this monstrous, monstrous debt. And then let's say, to follow the story, some amazing rich person came along and said, I will pay your debt. That would be really cool. And we often think of the salvation story a bit like that, of we owed a debt that we could not repay. And someone, namely Jesus, came along and paid our debt. But for a lot of us, what happens, even though someone has paid our debt, we have, like, like as if I had had my gambling debt paid off, I have this lingering guilt and shame. Even though the debt is paid and I own nothing, I have this lingering guilt and shame and pain over that still. Now, a lot of us, I want to suggest, you know, at least in your head, you know that you're forgiven. You know that your debt has been paid, but you carry this lingering shame. You carry this lingering sense of guilt. And I want to tell you today that he took that too. Not only has the, the, the consequences of that been wiped out, but he's taken the shame. He's taken the guilt. You don't need to hang on to the pain. He paid for that too. Now, here's the final bit that I want to really hit, and this is something I feel like is really important. It's something I've talked into before, but I've never kind of called it what I'm about to call it. I'm talking about disappointment. And disappointment can be a whole lot of things. It, it can be things didn't work out the way I had hoped. It can be disappointment in myself. You know, there are three cricket players that I suspect are feeling a whole lot of that this week. Pray for them, please. Not just because I'm a cricket tragic, but these are human beings. Pray for them. Disappointment. And I talked, it was the last week before we moved out of our old building, I talked a bit more into disappointment. And disappointment has the potential to dislocate you from your destiny completely. The word disappointment means to like dislocate, disappoint you from your destiny. When we don't deal with it well. 
But something's been stirring in my spirit over the last few weeks around disappointment because I think most of you know, that most of you that know me know that um, I have a huge passion for healing in, in that realm and you know, in the realm of the heart in particular. That, that's one of my deals. But that something started to kind of clang around in my spirit that became louder and louder and I knew that we had to go after it today. So let me put it like this. An idol is anything that you consult before you do the will of God. Okay? An idol is anything that you consult before you do the will of God. A whole lot of us, before we do the will of God, are consulting our disappointment and are going, can I do this? Can I really do this again? Can I really step up for this? I tried it back here. It didn't work out so well. I prayed for it then. It didn't happen. Can I pray for it again? Now, the pain of that stuff is real. And I said, I've talked into that many, many times over. But there comes a point where it goes beyond a painful experience and it starts to become an idol where we continually go, I just, I'm not going there. I'm not going wherever that is. I'm not going to step out in worship again. I'm not going to step out and pray for someone again. I'm not going to step out in my calling again. I'm going to stay safe. I'm just going to create this world that I can live in where I don't have to touch that. That's making an idol out of our disappointment because we're consulting it before we do the will of God. And I feel like today is a day of resurrection power. It's time to kick some idle butt. It's time to kick some idle butt. And in doing that, hey, there may be a whole lot of pain attached to that. And let me tell you, I have more than enough compassion for that. Um, so we can pray that. But I believe that for many of us, it may not be for all of us, but for many of us today, there is a decision that we need to make that my disappointment is no longer going to be my idol. I'm no longer consulting it before I do the will of God because that to tell Stike declaration is still coming right at your heart right now. Okay, it's still coming right at your heart, but that disappointment, we're kind of putting up a shield to it. He's wanting to call forth the new creation in you and you're going, I can't go there. It hurts too much. Now, I hope you hear the compassion in this as well. And I've talked into that many, many times, but I really feel like the Spirit very specifically said to me a couple of weeks ago and has been reiterating it ever since is for some of us, it's got beyond pain and it's become an idol. And idols need some desecrating. Idols need some kicking down. I want to put a little bit of a, a different perspective or potential perspective. John 12, 24. Jesus talking and he says, unless a seed of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. And this is where I always get the rest and I mix up another verse. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So let me read what I wrote down. What if what you see as a disappointment was actually the seed of that dream going into the ground so that it can come up again with resurrection power. What if? I'll say that again. What if the, what you see as disappointment was actually the seed of that dream going into the ground so it can come up again with resurrection power? But here's the thing. You have to partner. You have to agree with the resurrection power. See, that disappointment was like death. And Jesus kicked its butt today. And he wants to kick a whole lot more. So what are we asking? What are we calling? What's the invitation? That declaration, when Jesus said, finished, was probably the most powerful declaration ever made and ever will be made in human history. We haven't even began to grasp everything that that declaration contained. But at least we know from what we've said today that that declaration not only is saying your disappointment, your pain, your trauma, your torment, it's paid in full. From back then up until now, continuing into the future, it is done. All of the pain associated with that is done. 
And now he wants to free you from the disappointment of it all too. Yet there are some disappointments that, that have involved loss that obviously can't be turned around. That's part of the pain. That's, that's part of what makes us ache for eternity when that's not going to be happening anymore. And that was actually never Jesus' plan. That was never the Father's plan that there would be death. That came as a result of us. That, that was our doing. But whatever the loss, whatever the disappointment, he carried it so that the shalom of heaven could touch those places in your heart. So what am I asking? Are you willing to open up your heart to let that declaration touch your pain, your disappointment, your feelings of failure, the guilt, all of that stuff? We kind of know in our head, yes, that's been forgiven, but we still carry the shame, the pain, the guilt, the trauma, the torment of that, and he paid for it as well. So, are you willing to open your heart afresh to that today? Are you willing to let in the resurrection power touch those dead places? I'm going to pray. And then I actually want, I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's do that right now, actually. Just like Resurrection Sunday changed everything, I just feel like that for some of you today, this could be the day that changes everything if you're willing to let him. I'm going to pray for us and then when I'm done, if you're willing, if you're saying, yeah, Tim, I have made idol, an idol out of my disappointment. I've made an idol out of my pain. And by that, I'm not meaning you're bowing down and worshipping it. I'm just meaning you're consulting it before you're doing the will of God. We've all done this. I've done this, okay? This is not a shame, condemnation thing. This is a freedom thing. Okay, this is about setting you free and breaking the tie between past painful events, past failure, and your now so that you can be free to be that new creation that Jesus paid for and rose again to see you become. So I'm actually going to ask you to respond and come out as an act of saying, I'm stepping out of my idol. Uh, I'm not having anything to do with that thing anymore. And we just want to release love upon love upon love of heaven all over you, shalom of heaven all over you, to touch those hurting, broken places. So let's get in receive mode for a moment. Jesus, I just want to say on behalf of us, we open our hearts to that declaration. When you shouted to Telstai, the power of that declaration has not stopped to this day and will not stop until you wrap it up all at the end. Father, for many of us, we've kind of known about you taking our conduct and our condition, our transgression, our iniquity. We've known about that but we miss the bit where you took our sorrow and our pain. We miss the bit where, where everything that you carried and took actually takes our pain and restores us to the state that you created us in. And today we want to open our heart to that ministry of your spirit. God, where we have made disappointment an idol. In other words, we've consulted it before we've said yes to you. We lay down the idols. We smash them. We desecrate them.
And we say afresh today on Resurrection Sunday that you are Lord. And we will listen to no other voice. So right now, if that's ringing a chord in you, I want to invite you to take a bold step and just come and stand down the front here because this is a this is a prophetic declaration that's saying I'm not going to be held back by this anymore Just reach out in your heart to Him. Just have your own conversation with Him right now. Just tell Him what's going on in your heart. Say, Jesus, I've been disappointed. I've been hurt. I've been in pain. I've been in guilt and shame. And I've been hanging on to it. I've been consulting it before I've been listening to you and doing what you ask. And I don't want to do that anymore. for you and him to hear it. your heart out. Don't worry if it gets messy. Church has got to be the safest place in the world to make a mess. And as people are just pouring their hearts out to you now, God, I just pray the shalom of heaven. Come and meet us.
feeling to go into a little bit of warfare. See, when we, when we hang on to stuff past the point where there's, where there's grace for that, there's always grace in timing. But when we hang on by an act of our own will, longer than what's needed, then what happens is those those painful places in us become like dead places. And some of us were saying, you know, there are some, some of you it's like, I just don't feel. And for some it's, I don't feel certain emotions. Yeah, in particular emotions like joy and, and life and peace. And what ha happens is we inadvertently come into agreement with the spirit of death. Now, spirit of death isn't always just trying to kill you. It's more just trying to suck the life out of you to the point until you just want to die. It doesn't have the power to kill you, but it can suck the life out of you until that's what you want to happen. And I'm feeling like there's authority on Resurrection Sunday to break that thing. So if that's resonating with you, just reach out your hands right now and just agree as I'm praying because you're about to experience some serious breakthrough. Before I make that declaration, I just want you to say in your own heart, if this is resonating with you, I break my agreement with death right now. I break my agreement with death when I held on to stuff too long and I allowed stuff to die in me. I agreed with death and I break that agreement right now in Jesus' name. Just say that. It needs to actually come out of your mouth. It can't just happen in your mind. You actually need to say it out loud because your words have spiritual power. Just say, I break my agreement with death. I didn't know what I was doing when I did it. When I shut my heart down, I didn't know what I was doing. But now I do. And I break that agreement. Yeah, and say, in Jesus, in your name, as Father of this house, I take authority over that spirit of death right now. I break its power right now in the name of Jesus. I declare today is a day of deliverance. For some of you, you might feel like you need to cry all of a sudden. For some of you, you might need to cough or something where you're just expelling something. Just go with it. In the name of Jesus, we break the power of the spirit of death off your people. Now, in Jesus' name, we say, its assignment is over. Its resting place 
has been broken. And we command that spirit and everything that it brought with it to come out now. In Jesus' name, we command every spirit of depression and anxiety to come out right now. In the name of Jesus, your power is broken right here. Your power is broken right here. Depression and anxiety, you've got to go. You've got to go. Jesus paid a price for you. You've got to go now in Jesus' name. And in its place, we release the shalom of heaven. By the power of the blood of Jesus, we break that now in Jesus' name. We break that spirit of death. And I just give you permission to grieve. Some of you, you need to grieve. You've been disappointed. You've lost stuff. Maybe it was actually a loss of a person. Maybe it was the loss of a dream. And you've never grieved. You've never felt like that was what you needed to do or you never felt like you had permission. And I'll just speak now, permission. You have permission to grieve. In the name of Jesus, I just unstop the wells of emotion that have been clogged up by suppressed grief. We just unstop the wells now in Jesus' name. We say to you, blessed are those who mourn, for you will be comforted. You know, the prerequisite to receiving the comfort of the Lord is that you need to mourn. So we just free you to mourn. It's not lack of faith to grieve. Scripture doesn't say don't grieve. It just says don't grieve like those who have no hope. So grieve, but grieve with hope. That process of mourning, of grieving, of tears is actually detoxing your heart of those painful emotions. And for every tear that's cried, just ask for the shalom of heaven to fill that space. be healed even now in Jesus name every spirit of infirmity Jesus broke your authority you've got to go Pouring your heart out to Him. We just say to hearts, come alive. Come alive again. Come alive again. And you know the biggest sign that your hearts come alive again is you start to dream again. Because free people dream. Free people dream. So hearts come alive, come alive. Start to dream again. Yeah, and where pain disappointment has just become so familiar for some of you it's just like I just don't remember what it was like without this in the name of Jesus we just break that familiarity right now 
say disappointment, lingering disappointment, you're a foreign invader. You're not familiar. For some, you might have agreed with inadvertently in spirit of just like, well, this is just my lot. This is just the way it is in my life. Heck no. No, Jesus paid a price to make all things new. That's all things. Not everything except your heart. Not everything except your pain. All things. So we just break the the familiarity of pain the familiarity of disappointment, the familiarity of sickness, where we've become used to it and we've just subtly kind of acquiesced. We just say no more.